Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario. We're on a mission to reach people who are far from God. Hey, so glad you're with us today. We're in week three of a message series called The Parables of Jesus, and we're walking through some of the most important parables that Jesus taught, and we're diving in to understand their significance then and, of course, now. This week, we jump into Luke 15. We're looking at the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. I I know there's going to be something here for everyone, so grab your Bible, grab a notepad, and uh, let's get right to it. Good morning, Pathway. I'm going to be reading from Luke 15 verses 1 to 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that it's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf to kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're in week three of a message series called The Parables of Jesus. You may not know this, but Jesus was a masterful storyteller, and he used stories to teach the the common folk and the educated alike about God's kingdom, about the world, about God, and about us. And uh, so we call these stories that Jesus used parables. And the definition that I've been giving you throughout um, this message series is that a parable is a short story, or it could be a comparison of two things, that teaches a moral or spiritual lesson. And, and again, Jesus used these masterfully. Each week of the series, we're picking some of the most significant parables that Jesus taught, and we're looking at them up close. Today, we're in Luke chapter 15, and you just heard the entire chapter read, and it contains... Three parables, it contains the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and a very famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Perhaps you've heard it before. We've been asking three questions as we proceed through this uh, series. There are three questions we want to ask as we approach any uh, particular parable, and it's because these parables can be misinterpreted and misapplied so easily. So we want to make sure that we're on the right track. And and here are just uh, uh, three of the questions that we've been asking as we work our way through these parables. The first question is, what was his mission? What was Jesus's mission? Okay, what was he out to accomplish? We learned over the past couple weeks. That, that Jesus was on a mission to announce a new kingdom in which he would be the king, a new kingdom in, in which uh, it would be an eternal kingdom. And he wanted his disciples specifically in the last two weeks to know how his kingdom would come. It would come like a seed, okay, and instead of uh, with an army, okay, that the kingdom, uh, there would be internal and external resistance to what God wanted to do in the world. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to know that. Today, as we turn our attention to Luke chapter 15, what I want you to see is Jesus is now going to address who is to be included in this kingdom. He, he, he wanted to be very, very clear about who would take part in his kingdom, what kind of people would be there. And one of the things you'll, you'll recognize really quickly is that God chooses unlikely people. Right? Like guys like when when I was in grade school there was always like the two popular athletic kids and they picked all the teams on the on the on the yard. And and Jesus picks people that nobody else would pick. It's just like, me? Yeah, I want you on my team. Like, I I'm not I'm not even any good. He's like, it's okay. Come and join that's the way God is. He chooses unlikely people. So if you're watching this message with somebody, if you're sitting with a family member or friend, I want you to just turn to them and be like, You? And I mean Ham it up like you're surprised, like you're here, like what are you doing here, right? That's what God does. He chooses unlikely people and he does things in unlikely ways. Um, Jesus's mission was to build a kingdom, but we're talking about today who he includes in it. And a few chapters later in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus makes a statement about who he wants to include in his kingdom. And he says this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is like, I came for lost people. And I want lost people to be part of my kingdom and my family. So this is all part of the mission of Jesus. The next question we've been asking is, what is the context? What is the context? And what we mean by that is, who is Jesus talking to? What point is he trying to make? What's going on? And thankfully, the beginning of the chapter tells us exactly the context. So let's take a look at it. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to him. Let me define very briefly for you who the tax collectors and sinners are. So tax collectors were considered outcasts and traitors in that 
in that day and age. And here's why. Because the Roman Empire had come in and taken over the nation of Israel, and, and they would demand high taxes from them, right, to fuel the Roman economy and empire. Now, how the Romans would do this is they would hire local Jewish men who lived in the various communities to be their tax collectors. And what these people would do is they would literally go out to the local farms and businesses and neighbors and people that they knew, and they would get the tax money for Rome, often taking more than they needed and lining their pockets with it. Uh, So they were viewed as traitors, turncoats. They were outcasts within the local community, and Jesus is hanging out with them. The other bucket of people it says here is that he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. So these might be you know, thieves, might be prostitutes, might be people of, of, you know, less than, you know, high standards, you know, just people that are of all different walks of life. And Jesus is hanging out with them. So I want you to imagine this. Jesus is like leaning back on a cushion at a table in a house, and he's got some tax collectors, maybe prostitute and a few other people. And they're all like sharing a big bowl of nachos, you know, and they're all reaching and Jesus is laughing and he's telling them stories and they're asking him questions about God. And, and this is all happening. And the question is, Jesus, what are you doing with these people? And, and what's interesting to me is it says these people drew near to him. They, they wanted to be with Jesus, which is surprising to me that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And as I think about that, I wonder if that's true of me and I wonder if that's true of us as a church, that people who aren't like us, who don't believe what we believe, if they like us. And, and I wonder why these people who are not righteous, would want to hang around with somebody who is, right? Because obviously Jesus didn't make them feel bad about it. He, he, there was something attractive. And, and as I think about it, I wonder if it's not, this is my hypothesis, that they liked being with Jesus because Jesus actually liked them. <laughs> you know, and if you grew up in church, you know we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right, so we're supposed to love everybody, but we don't have to like them, you know. But I think Jesus actually liked these people, and I do think that people can tell whether you like them or not. Uh, back in, when I was in Bible college, I remember seeing this this young lady. She was she was quite attractive, and she was, uh, you know, uh, very very sweet and smart and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, man, I like her. I want to get to know her. And so wherever she went, I would kind of I kind of go over there to kind of see if I could get around her. But every time I showed up, <laughs> she disappeared. And, and I think it's because she knew I liked her and the feeling wasn't mutual. Her name is Jessica, by the way. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me and our four kids, um, I'm not good at reading social cues. Uh, so I just kept pursuing her anyways. Uh, but that's another story for another day. The point is, people know. They know how you feel about them. It's, there's something intuitive about it. And these people who were rejected by religious leaders, rejected by the church community of that day, were welcomed and loved and liked by Jesus. Now, this sets up for what happens in the next verse, which is all a big setup for the story. In the next verse, it says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats them. They had a problem. They're standing outside the house looking through the window, and they see Jesus sharing the nachos with people they wouldn't be caught dead with. And they had a big problem with it. And, you know, in one sense, they had a point. Their their thought might have been something like this. Jesus, don't you know that by hanging out with such people, you're affirming their behavior, that you're saying that they're okay. And I think Jesus's response would have been something to this effect. I'm affirming their value. I'm affirming that they're loved. I'm affirming that I even like them, but I'm not affirming their behavior. And I'm inviting them to follow me and I'm inviting them into change and I'm inviting them to a new way of life. But I'm not affirming 
And Jesus seemed to care more about people than he cared about his reputation. And, and Jesus saw something of value in those people that the religious leaders of the day could not see. And I wonder if there's not a lesson in there for you and for me. See, the religious leaders of the day would have easily categorized people into two categories. And we do this, right? Good people and bad people. I mean, that, that's what you have, right? You have good people and bad people, right? And so good people are the moral people. Good people are the people that do the right things and you know show up on time and attend church and all that stuff. And bad people are people that do bad things and don't do what they're supposed to and all that stuff. So there's this clear division. And for many of us, when we get into this moral thinking, we go, okay, so the, if you do enough good things, you kind of move over into the good people category. And if you do enough bad things, you're over there. And some of you are kind of sitting on the fence. And so we kind of do this. It's how we often divide people naturally. And these religious leaders did that. But Jesus, through this parable we're about to read, is going to change the whole conversation. So instead of going good, bad, ah, I know you expect me to say ugly. Instead of good and bad, he's actually going to say, no, no, no. I want you to think of people in terms of lost and found. Jesus is viewing you and me, and he's viewing the world through a very different lens. It's not the good and the bad people. It's the lost and the found people. Now, when I say the word lost, uh, someone who didn't grow up in church is thinking, you know, you're driving somewhere, you don't have a GPS, and you, you don't know where you are. That's what you think, lost, like lost. I, I can't find my car keys. People who grew up in church think of lost as people who are outside of the church, people who don't know Jesus, who aren't saved, born again, baptized, members of the church. We have all our own lingo around this, right? So we think of lost. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus is going to talk about this idea of lost and found. And here's what he says in the next verse, and then we're going to dive into it. He says, so he told them this parable. I want everyone listening at home to read this phrase with me. So he told them this parable. I want you to notice that the word parable is singular. So even though in my Bible it's broken into three parables and it says the parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son, that the author, Luke, knew that Jesus told these three stories as a single parable with a single point and motive. And so I want us to consider it. One parable in three movements. One parable, three stories. Have you ever heard of something or someone that exists that is one but also three? I'll just give you a little hint. All right? In the church, we call it the Trinity. God is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So just interesting, this is a fun game. Okay, I want you to consider in this story, we got three sort of movements to the parable. Number one, we have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. I want you to consider which, which person of the Godhead is represented in each of these parables. Because in each of these movements in this parable, there is... Uh, an image of God. So in the first one, we have a sheep that is lost and the shepherd goes to find that sheep. Who do you think the shepherd represents? Uh, there's nobody in the room. So I'm hoping somebody went, Jesus, you know, that's often the right answer. But in this case, you're right because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the one that goes out into the dark places to find that lost, helpless sheep. And, and the shepherd doesn't just like guide the sheep back. He puts it on his shoulders and carries it to safety. That's what Jesus does. On the cross, he carries our burden, our sin, our penalty, our punishment to save us from our sin. So we have Jesus represented in the first parable. In the second parable, or the second movement of this parable, you have a woman, and she's searching, and she lights a lamp, and she's searching all the kind of unseen places and crevices in her house. Who do you think that represents? Well, 
it, it, it very likely represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that moves in unseen places and searches the depths of our hearts and our mind and draws us to repentance. So we see God the Son, we see God the Holy Spirit, and of course, the last, the, the, the section about the prodigal son, um, who do you think the Father represents? That uh, should be a giveaway. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make here is that in Jesus' parable, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all at work to seek and save that which is lost. Which is, which is interesting to me because there's this sort of, there's this way of thinking that has sort of crept into the church that God is like the vindictive one trying to destroy us all and Jesus is like trying to save us. Like they're working, you know, a you know, good cop, bad cop. You ever seen that in a movie, right? Where the good cop is like, oh, would you just help us out here? And the bad cop's like, I'm going to tear his head off. And, and people actually think, they're like, God the Father is like, I want to zap them with lightning. And Jesus is throwing himself in front saying, no, 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 save them. But Jesus in this parable actually shows us that all of who God is seeks to save that which is lost. All of who God is loves and cares for you and longs for you to be home with him. All of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So of course, Jesus is a, is a masterful storyteller. One of the other things he does, which I don't have a lot of time to get into, is he elicits an emotional response with these stories that connects with every person. He says, what man of you connecting with the guys in the audience, having a sheep lost, wouldn't go to find it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'd want to recover my investment, my property, it's mine, I want to get it back. Then he says, what woman among you, he connects with the women in the audience who might have been listening, and he says, if you've lost a coin that you're responsible for, wouldn't you search? And they're like, yeah, because they know what it feels like to lose something. And then he says, what father, what father among you, think about this, what father among you uh, wouldn't if you had a son that was wayward, that left home, that was rebellious, came home repentant, and you could be in relationship with it, who wouldn't celebrate that? So he wanted his audience to feel what it feels like to lose something valuable. Have you ever lost something valuable? Have you ever lost your wallet? That stinks. After a couple of days of searching, it's like, do I cancel my credit cards? Do I order a new license? Do I, right? And then it turns up, and the joy that you feel at finding it. Have you ever lost a kid? You know, you're at the mall and you're like, where did they go? You know, the joy of like, there they are and getting them back. Jesus wanted his audience to connect with that and to understand that God feels that way. Uh, one time I, I lost an iPad and I can tell you how that felt. It wasn't good. Years ago, we went to the soccer tournament in Ottawa and I remember um, we're trying to like get all our kids from the hotel into the van to get to the soccer field so the coach wouldn't yell at us. And of course, that's never easy with four kids and you're trying to buckle them into those those harnesses, those five-point safety systems designed by the devil, I, I seriously think there were engineers in a room just laughing like, oh, we're going to get everybody. They're awful. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so we're trying to fight with these things, get the kids in the van. We burn down the road, and one of my kids says, hey, Dad, something just flew off the roof of our caravan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's weird. And a few miles down the road, I'm like, <gasps> my iPad. <laughs> and, and you get that knot in your stomach that's like, I lost something valuable to me. Never did recover it, by the way. I used that Where's My iPhone app, and I watched it drive across the border into Quebec. Those Quebecers, eh? Um, <laughs> I'm a Quebecer, so I could say that. Uh, anyways, the point is, you know the feeling of losing something valuable to you. And, and Jesus is like, I want you to take that feeling, and I want you to understand that's how God feels about you. How much he wants to get you back. How much he cares about you. Um. I like to call uh, this chapter, and this is the title of my message, by the way, I like to call it the Lost People Parable. <laughs> Say that five times fast. You know, the Lost People Parable. Uh, it's not going to end well, okay? The Lost People Parable, because I believe that in this 
one parable with each of the three movements, we're going to actually see Jesus share with us at least four types of lost people. Not all lost people are the same. Not all people find themselves far from God, and that's what we mean by lost, because of the same reasons or in the same way. And so I kind of want to walk through these four types of lost people. And as we do this, I want to encourage you to ask the question, which of these is me? Am I far from God? And, and is this type of lost person me? Or is this, was this me before I came to know God? And so let's walk through them. The first one is what I call the wanderer. The wanderer, okay? And this is represented by the lost sheep. Now, sheep wander. That's what they do. Uh, sheep are known as being stupid, you know, animals, but they're really not stupid. They, they're actually very, very, very skilled at recognizing faces and voices. Uh, so they're, they're not, they're actually quite brilliant in some respects, but they have this herd mentality. They tend to follow one another. In fact, sheep have been known to follow another sheep right into danger, right into a slaughterhouse. You know, two, two sheep will just wander off, one following the other, you know, right off a cliff. A sheep wander. That is one of their tendencies, which is why in the Bible, God often, you know, speaks about his people as sheep, because we have a tend to follow one another and just wander here and there. And a sheep will put their head down and there's a patch of grass and they're chomping away and there's another nice patch of grass and there's one. And a few hours later, they've totally separated themselves from the herd. They don't know, where, they don't know how to follow their tracks back. They just see a dark cave full of bones and they go, that could be safe. And off they go, right? I mean, sheep are just not the brightest things and they're just wandering. They're, they're just wandering. And I think that many people who are far from God, are far from God because they've wandered far from their father and maker. They, they don't know better. They don't know the truth. They don't know the way back. They may not even know about God's love for them. No one's ever told them. They're just wandering through life. And God wants to come and find you and to save you and bring you home into relationship with him. That's the wander, okay? Here's number two. I call this one the victim. <laughs> the victim, uh, you could say the victim of carelessness. And this is represented by the lost coin. Now you go, well, how do you get there? Well, um, unlike the sheep, the coin didn't wander anywhere, right? So if a coin is lost, it's because it's been misplaced or mishandled. And over the years, as I've talked to people who find themselves far from God and who are, who are trying to figure things out, um, the story often goes something like this. You know, I attended church for a few years as a kid. Someone hurt my family. Someone, you know, abused me. Someone rejected me or someone ignored me. Uh, someone judged me. Uh, something was done. I've talked to people who maybe never went to church and I said, don't you know God is your heavenly father? And they're like, I never had a father that loved me. And so they, because of some external thing that's happened to them, they have such a hard time understanding, connecting with the love of God. And Jesus came for people just like that. God loves people who have been hurt, people who have been abandoned, and He cares. And just like the woman who lights a lamp and sweeps her house, God is looking feverishly. He's calling to you. He wants to heal and restore you and save you. So we've got the wanderer and we've got the victim. And in both of these cases, Right? In both of these cases, we see God saving them. We see God you know, picking up the sheep, finding the coin. He kind of does everything. But there's, there's two more categories I want to talk about. And these two categories of lost people are actually exemplified in the parable of the prodigal son. And the first is the prodigal son, and we call this willfully defiant. Now there are those, like the prodigal son, who knew their father's love, who were in a home... And 
the prodigal son literally decides that he wants nothing to do with his father. He willfully chooses to walk away. In fact, I want you to see what he says in verse 11 of the chapter. He says this, he says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. The, the thought was like this. Dad, you're, you're rich, right? Oh, you know, you could say that. He's like, Dad, when you die someday, I'm going to get an inheritance, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I want it now. Give me my inheritance now so I can do with it what I want. Now, he has no intention of going down the street and investing it in a business or doing something productive with it. He actually has a very, very different plan altogether. It's like, it's my life, and these are my resources, and I want to have what's mine, and I'm going to do it my way. Is that you? I know it's been me. And, and there's this willful defiance. It's like, God, I don't need you. I got this. It's my life anyways, right? I don't need your rules. I don't want any of your stuff. And it says this, not many days after, the younger son gathered all he had, takes all the wealth that his dad gave him, and he took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, I think these first three categories of lost people all describe the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was eating with. Right? You have some that just didn't know better. You had some that had been hurt and abused, and that's why they found their way into that. Others who had willfully thumbed their nose at God and said, I don't need you. It's my life. Leave me alone. I'm taking the gifts, the talents, the resources, uh, the, the money, the, the breath in my lungs, all these precious gifts you give me, and I'm going to use them for what I want to do, and I'm going to do it my way. You know, I did it my way. That is willful defiance. And so I think within that room, as Jesus is sharing the nachos, you have all three of these kinds of lost people represented. But there is uh, another <laughs> kind of lost person. And, and by the way, this is one of the twists. Because as Jesus is telling this story, I think the religious leaders that are listening are going, oh yeah, I get that, I get that. Oh yeah, that prodigal son, boy, he's, he's a mess. And oh, he needs, to, he needs to get his life sorted out and all that stuff. And in a, in a, in a twist, Jesus is actually going to add another type of lost person. And this one was directly aimed at the religious leaders with whom he spoke. And that's the number four, the self-righteous older brother. All right, self-righteous means you earn your righteousness. Like the older brother, when he hears that his younger brother has come home, he is mad. He's mad because he stayed at home with his father and he followed the rules and he plowed the field and he did all the right stuff. But guess what? His brother comes home repentant. Change of art has had a horrible time living in a pig pen and his father throws a coat on him and says, I still love you. You're still my son. We're going to throw a party because you were lost and now you're found and the older brother is mad about it. And Jesus is actually going, this is you guys. You're mad because of my generosity to a lost son. It says this in verse 28. This is the self-righteous older brother. And again, is this you? Man, if you're the good kid, if you're the one that grew up in church, always doing the right stuff and you see other people coming to faith and you're like, man, they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't, you know, it's very easy for us to feel this way. It says he was angry and refused to go in. Okay, his father came out and entreated him. Now I want to stop for just a second there because his anger actually was keeping him away from his father. Right, so he's, he's now... A lost person because he is distanced from his father because of his anger towards his brother. But I want you to notice that the father comes out looking for him. And even the self-righteous person who says, I'm better than everyone else, God still loves you too. And he comes to make an appeal to go, listen, you know, your, your brother didn't offend you. Your brother offended me. Your brother didn't waste your money. He wasted mine. Why are you so angry at him? You should be glad 
that your brother who was lost is now found. You should be glad that he is in a better state. But not because you're making it all about you. And he appeals to the heart of the older brother. And the older brother says this to his father. He says, verse 29, Look, (laughs) these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Can you spot the difference between the way that the prodigal son viewed his father and the older son? The prodigal son said, you know what? My, my dad's a generous guy. I mean, I know I thumbed my nose at him and ran off and wasted his money, but he's so good that even working for him as a servant would be better than staying where I'm at. And so he comes back to God because of who he believes his father's character to be. The older son is like, you're using me. I'm keeping all your rules and you don't give me anything. Those are two very, very different views of the same heavenly father. Which one would you embrace today? He says, when this son of yours, he disassociates himself, then there's me and then there's my brother. We're not both lost. We're not both in need of grace and forgiveness. It's like me, the good guy, and him, the bad guy. See, same, same viewpoint. He says, when this son of yours came who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Why are you celebrating him when he's done so much bad? And the father said to him, son, you're always with me. <laughs> All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see how Jesus is drawing a very clear distinction between good and bad and lost and found. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, viewed life in this way that your value is based on what you do. Your value is based on what you do. But Jesus wanted to make a very, very important distinction that your value is actually based on whose you are. And if you belong to God, and I propose that you do, He loves you and He wants you to come home. He loves you and if you don't even know about Him, He's coming to find you. He's coming to save you, to rescue you. And what's interesting about this parable is the first two, God does all the work, right? The Calvinists, they love the first two parables, right? Uh, The second two, there's a personal response. The prodigal son has to go, I'm going to exercise humility and I'm going to come back to the God that I know. And I'm going to respond with repentance. And the same with the older son. There's a, there's a personal response. So we have God doing all the saving and we have personal response to God's goodness. And both of them are at play. Both of them are a real thing for us. So I want to close with this idea of the final question we've been asking with each parable is, is there a twist? Is there a twist in the story? And um, I'm going to start with the second one on my list, uh, which is the table turner. I think in this parable... Um, Jesus um, turns the tables on the religious leaders. They're going, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. What's Jesus doing with the bad guys? And Jesus is actually going to turn the tables around and be like, the very fact that you hate these people and won't have anything to do with them proves that you're self-righteous and far from God. He's going to turn the table on them. Jesus often does this with his parables. He turns the table on us. And everything we thought was true, we see it from another side and, and it should produce repentance in our heart. But here's the second thing that I love about this parable. <laughs> and it's what I call over-celebration. Have you ever seen somebody over-celebrate? Like, just like over the top. Years ago, I invested in this stock that someone told me was going to be so great. And I remember putting money into this and I'm like, we're going to make money. And it went up like 30% in a day. And I was so thrilled. I said to my wife, I said, Jess, uh, I made all this money today on this stock. Let's go out and celebrate. It took her out to a nice dinner. Uh, And then a few weeks later, it basically went to zero and I lost all my money. That's called an over-celebration. And in this parable, I see, it seems like God is over-celebrating. Let me me share with you what I mean, okay? Um, 
Guy has 100 sheep, loses one. So if the 100 sheep represents his net worth, okay, he's lost 1% of his net worth. I don't know about you, but if you had like a stock portfolio of $100,000 and you lost 1% and then you got it back, you probably wouldn't call all your friends and have a party. You'd be like, huh, it's 1%. I'm glad to have it back, but like no big deal, right? But this shepherd brings his sheep back, calls his friends and celebrates. <laughs> it's an over-celebration for the context. The second one is this woman who loses, she has 10 coins, 10 silver coins. She loses one, okay? Now we're talking about um, we're talking about a very very small uh, piece of money. It's a, it's a we call it a drachma, okay, a little silver coin. And then she calls all of her neighbors and friends and has a party. Now, think about this: the party she throws for her friends would cost more than the value of the coin she found. This is what we call an over celebration. The father, when the prodigal son comes home, okay, the son comes home. Here's what most fathers would do, myself included. They'd be like. Okay, I'm glad to hear you've had a change of tune. Let's clean you up, go to the bathhouse, and then we'll put some nice clean clothes on you, and then we'll let you work with the servants for a month and see if you've really had a change of heart before we sort of put you back into your old position. Like, is that not what we would do? And this father is just so over the top. He just like throws his coat on the guy covered with pig poop, and he gives him a kiss, and he's like, you're my son, here's sandals, here's my ring, and he has a party... And there's no proof of long-term change. He just over-celebrates. And I think all of this is intended to let us know just how deeply God feels and how much He loves each and every one of you. And when we take a single step in His direction, when there's a humility or repentance in our heart, and we go, man, God, look what you've done for me. And you take one step in His direction. Like all the angels are just like throwing a party. There's balloons and those little party horns. I mean, everybody's just like out of their mind thrilled when any of God's lost people take a step towards Him. When they open their arms and open their heart to Him. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know whether you're the wanderer. I don't know whether you're the, the victim. I don't know where you're the obstinate, rebellious, I don't need you, God, or the self-righteous, you owe me, God. I don't know which, but I guarantee you we're all battling with one of them. And I want you to know today how much God loves you and how much He longs for and desires for you to be found, for you to be with Him. Not just like in heaven one day, but now, in His presence, in right standing and in relationship with Him. I hope this message has been helpful to you. Uh, next week, we're going to look at a really interesting parable uh, about, again, how much God loves people. That's going to be the theme for a few weeks. And I want you to know today, as we wrap up this service and change directions, that God absolutely loves you more than you could imagine. And the reason why He celebrates so furiously when you take a step towards Him is because He loves you so deeply and values you so much. Father, thank you for every person watching online, men, women, children, people from every stage and walk of life. And I thank you, Lord, that these words of Jesus are as true today as they ever have been, that you love your people whom you have created in your image, that you long for each of us to be right with you, to be in right relationship with you, and to move in your direction. I thank you that all of heaven celebrates when we take a step towards you, and we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. I hope that message was helpful to you. I hope that God and the Holy Spirit specifically was at work in your heart as you listened uh, to those words and the reading of the parables. Hey, if you'd uh, like to track with us, why don't you uh, subscribe to our podcast or go to our website, pathwaylife.com, to connect with us, to give. Uh, Visit us on social media or YouTube. We'd love to connect with you and help you take your next steps in your faith journey with God. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.